All right, friends, it is time once again. It's time to get on the road to travel and make some artsy memories with me. Yup, in case you haven't heard the news, we've got a wonderful five-day trip to Santa Fe, New Mexico, coming up this fall, and you are invited. Please join me November 1st through November 5th to explore this vibrant multicultural city that consistently ranks among the world's top art destinations. Let's enjoy that breathtaking desert landscape, immerse ourselves in the treasures of the Southwest, and focus in on one of America's greatest modernists, Georgia O'Keeffe, whose works overflow with evidence of her fascination with this, the land of enchantment. This is a small group tour organized by me and my friends at Like Minds Travel, and limited spots are available. So plan now and register as soon as possible. You can grab all of the details at my website, artcuriouspodcast.com slash events, or Google Like Minds Travel, and you'll find us there too. I can't wait to meet you this fall and to explore the beautiful Southwest with you. Like Minds Travel, Art Curious, Santa Fe, November 1 through November 5. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchor Light. Artist studios, exhibition space, and more. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. I've always thought there was something a little bit strange about the pairing of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Certainly, it's the surprise of a pairing of seeming opposites, at least from a physical standpoint. She, the small, seductive, and somewhat frail painter, whose subject matter referred to the most intimate sides of her own life. He, the large and somewhat brutish muralist, whose large-scale works touched upon revolution and justice and larger issues of Mexican history. There's almost a beauty in the beast quality there, and for many of us, the relationship between these two artists is just as intriguing as their creative output. And especially when it comes to Frida's art, it's very hard to separate their love from their mutual artistic legacy. But how did it all begin? And what is so fascinating about these two artists, even over 60 years after their deaths? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Art Curious Season 13 is all about modern love. And today we are returning to two episodes from our very first season of the show for a fresh and new recording about the lives and works of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. When it comes to the love story of Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, certainly one of the most famous in the history of modern art, there is a lot of myth-making and storytelling. And sometimes it's hard to parse the fact from all of that fiction. So where do we even start? Luckily, I know of one place that we are able to get at least some of the story directly from the horse's mouth. And I mean that with no disrespect to Mr. Rivera. 
One of my favorite things, though, as a curator and an art historian is the opportunity to be able to hear about an artist's work and life directly from the source. It is a benefit that, in my eyes, is indispensable. And even if much of it is heavily edited, and i.e., I mean spun for the sake of the artist or the subject, or if it's something that's more prone toward marketing, they are still fantastic ways to get into the mindset of a singularly important creative individual. So in today's case, we have a great resource in Diego Rivera's autobiography titled My Art, My Life, an Autobiography, which was published three years after his death and was based on interviews that he gave to journalist Gladys March over a 13-year period prior to his death in 1947. According to Diego's autobiography, he first met Frida when she was just a teenager many years before he would find her again and then fall in love with her. When reading his description of these first encounters with Frida, the reader is struck by an overwhelming sense that something bigger was at play in bringing them together. Fate, destiny, the gods, whatever it may be. In his reminiscences, Diego himself seems surprised, even flummoxed, that this precocious and prankish girl would eventually grow to become his wife and the love of his life. Their momentous first meeting occurred in 1922 when Diego Rivera had received a job to paint his first important mural, a work titled Creation, which was also his very first governmental commission. Large and Italianate, filled with mythological, religious, and symbolic figures, but no politically affiliated ones, interestingly enough. The mural, Creation, was to be the crowning display in the Boulevard Lecture Hall of the National Preparatory School in the center of Mexico City. The school was a rather prestigious institution, one of the oldest in the city. And at that time, only 35 girls were allowed to study there out of a total of around 2,000 students. One of those 35 girls found delight in pranking Diego while he toiled for months, she would shout at him while his back was turned and then hide herself away. But one night, the prank stopped and something entirely different occurred. While Diego was painting away in the company of his second wife, Lupe, he heard a commotion at the auditorium door as several students pushed against it. And then the magic happened. I will let Diego speak for himself here. About this night, he wrote, quote, all at once, the door flew open, and a girl who seemed to be no more than 10 or 12 was propelled inside. She was dressed like any other high school student, but her manner immediately set her apart. She had unusual dignity and self-assurance, and there was a strange fire in her eyes. Her beauty was that of a child, yet she was well-developed. She looked straight up at me. Would it cause you any annoyance if I watched you at work? She asked. No, young lady, I'd be charmed, I said. She sat down and watched me silently, her eyes riveted on the every move of my paintbrush. After a few hours, Lupe's jealousy was aroused, and she began to insult the girl. But the girl paid no attention to her. This, of course, enraged Lupe the more. Hands on hips, Lupe walked toward the girl and confronted her belligerently. The girl merely stiffened and returned Lupe's stare without a word. Visibly amazed, Lupe glared at her for a long time, then smiled, and in a tone of grudging admiration, said to me, Look at that girl. 
Small as she is, she does not fear a tall, strong woman like me. I really like her. The girl stayed about three hours. When she left, she said only, good night. A year later, I learned that her name was Frida Kahlo. But I had no idea she would one day be my wife. Unquote. One small point of correction here. Diego identifies his future wife as looking to be about 10 or 12 years old at the time. She was actually closer to 15. But as a small point of fact, Frida Kahlo's age is kind of murky. She was born in 1907, but later, around the same time that she met Diego at that national preparatory school, she had gotten involved with a Mexican nationalist-slash-socialist group called Los Cachucas. And in order to align herself more clearly and symbolically with their mission, Frida began claiming that she was actually born in 1910, which just happened to be the year of the start of the Mexican Revolution. This causes confusion in the chronology of both her life and her art, even today, and it is also possible that Diego did not even know Frida's correct age, so his assumption that she would have been around 12 years old could have felt correct to him given her later claims of a 1910 birth year. So who was this child who charmed Diego and also impressed his wife, Lupe? Frida was born Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon on July 6, 1907 in Coyoacan, which is a small village on the outskirts of Mexico City. It appears that Frida didn't have the very best childhood, with a mother whom she would later describe as, quote, kind, active, and intelligent, but also calculating, cruel, and fanatically religious. And then there was a major blow. When Kahlo was just six years old, she contracted polio, and such an intense illness meant that she was unable to go to school and was also isolated from other children of the same age. Polio affected the growth of her legs, causing one leg to be shorter and thinner than the other, so her right leg was shorter and thinner than the left. As a result, once she had recovered and finally returned to school, she was harshly bullied by other children who would frequently jeer at her and cruelly refer to her as Peg Lake Frida. There was a silver lining, though. Like Andy Warhol, whose own childhood illnesses kept him at home, Frida's absence from school life bonded her more closely to one of her parents. In her case, it was her father, who lavished extra care and attention on his sick daughter and, along the way, taught her about things like painting and photography, as he in particular was a working photographer himself. Though Frida might not have known it at the time, this exposure to art proved to be life-changing. But more on that in a moment. First, we've got to talk a little bit more about Diego Rivera. And that's coming up next, right after this quick break. Remember that you can listen to us over on Patreon for a few bucks a month and get this show ad-free. Patreon.com slash ArtCurious. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. 
And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, Art Curious listeners, I want to let you know that my audio course, Breaking Barriers, Women of Renaissance Europe, is no longer available from our former partners at Avid. But it is not gone for good. And in fact, I am now going to be offering it directly on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com, and I've put it on sale right now for $23.99. So in case you are new to all things Art Curious, welcome. You probably already have a sense that I love to bring you amazing and interesting stories about the world of art history. And so this is why I am so excited to share that I've created this audio course specifically for those of you who are looking to get more into the world of Renaissance Europe through the eyes of the women artists who thrived there. I promise you'll become more familiar with artists you probably have never heard of and those who have made an incredible and very notable mark on art history. Each of these little lessons is only about five to ten minutes in length, so you'll be able to enjoy them on your own time in a manner that won't take a big bite out of your day. And of course, there are no term papers or final exams, just art history for fun. Find it now on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com slash products. And a reminder, it is on sale right now for the low price of $23.99. On September 7th, that special pricing will go away and it will revert to its traditional retail of $29.99. So enroll in this exclusive course and become a quick expert on Renaissance women artists with me. Looking forward to sharing it with you. Welcome back to Art Curious. Diego Rivera was born in Guanajuato, Mexico, to a fairly well-off family on December 8, 1886, alongside his twin brother, Carlos. When the twins were nearly two years old, Carlos died unexpectedly, leaving Diego alone. As a coping mechanism not that long after, toddler Diego began drawing. As he later wrote, quote, Just as soon as I could get my short little fat fingers around a pencil, I was drawing on everything. When his parents caught him scribbling all over the walls of their home, they didn't scold him and instead lined their walls with canvas and chalkboards. Though no one could have known it at the time, the Rivera family essentially set their son up for success as one of the most important Mexican artists of the 20th century. Diego began seriously studying art once he turned 10 years old attending the Academy of San Carlos in Mexico City. From all accounts, Diego was so good that his works caught wide attention locally, and he was rewarded for it six years later when, at his graduation, he was awarded a sponsorship to study art in Europe. And this sponsorship was paid for by none other than the governor of the state of Veracruz himself. With this, Diego Rivera began a nearly 14-year-long stint living in Europe. He started off in Madrid in 1907 before moving on to Paris, and then it was there that he really found his niche, becoming fast friends with people like Amadeo Modigliani and Caim Soutin, and falling under the spell of works by people like Pablo Picasso, Georges Braque, and others. Diego himself became a Cubist painter for a while to limited success, 
But it wasn't until he returned to Mexico in 1921, after both the Mexican and Russian revolutions made international waves, that he truly found his style. He had been inspired by the Renaissance frescoes he had admired while touring Italy and found the idea of the mural to be wonderfully democratic, something accessible to both the working classes and the native peoples of Mexico, something not hidden away in some wealthy person's drawing room. And thus, with a clear idea about presenting and celebrating Mexican history and heritage, Rivera's first commissions began to pour in, and he became a rising star in the art world. Things weren't going so well for Frida in the mid-1920s, though. In late 1925, when she was 18 years old, Frida was riding a bus home from school when the bus collided with a streetcar, killing several people and seriously injuring several more, including Frida herself. In fact, Frida's injuries were so serious that they were considered near-fatal, and it wasn't a given that she was even going to make it out alive. She had fractured ribs, a broken collarbone, and both legs had significant fractures as well. But the worst injury is horribly gruesome. A handrail impaled her through her pelvis, fracturing that as well. She spent months recovering, both at the hospital and then at home on bed rest. But the repercussions of such a significant accident would haunt her, and Diego too, for the rest of her life. To cope, she had an easel fashioned at her bedside so she could pass the time with art. Above the easel, a mirror was placed, and Frida began creating her very first self-portraits, the subject for which she is most remembered today. There's something about the paintings of Frida Kahlo, something deeper, mystical even in my mind. But one of the things that I love most about them, being an art historian, is that Frida obviously knows her art history. Her early portraits of herself and her family remind me of Renaissance artists, especially people like Botticelli and Bronzino. And she was influenced by Cubism and other avant-garde movements as well. All of these influences would serve her well when she, like Diego, would develop and perfect her very own artistic style. In 1927, two full years after her accident, Frida was deemed sufficiently recovered enough to rejoin society, so to speak. She immediately returned to her old school interests of politics and activism and joined the Mexican Communist Party immediately. At a party mixer a few months later, the photographer, her friend, Tina Madotti, introduced Frida to another artist who had also become a star figure within the Mexican Communist Party, while, again, becoming one of the most prominent artists in the country. His name, of course, was Diego Rivera. Diego himself remembered their meeting a little bit differently. In his autobiography, Diego neglects to tell the story of their reintroduction at the Communist Party mixer and instead jumps forward to a few weeks later when their next dalliance echoes their original meeting from 1922. As Diego recalled it, quote, I was at work on one of the uppermost frescoes at the Ministry of Education building one day when I heard a girl shouting up to me, Diego, please come down here. I have something important to discuss with you. I turned my head and I looked down from my scaffold. On the ground beneath me stood a girl of about 18. 
She had a fine, nervous body, topped by a delicate face. Her hair was long, dark and thick eyebrows met above her nose. They seemed like the wings of a blackbird, their black arches framing two extraordinary brown eyes. Unquote. Frida, for her part, was all business. She had not come to flirt, or at least not primarily to flirt, but she came instead to ask Diego for his artistic opinion about her works of art. Every ounce the same feisty girl that she was at 15, she told him, quote, I didn't come here for fun. I have to work to earn my livelihood. I have done some paintings, which I want you to look over professionally. I want an absolutely straightforward opinion because I cannot afford to go on just to appease my vanity. I want you to tell me whether you think I can become a good enough artist to make it worth my while to go on. I've brought three of my paintings here. Will you come and look at them? Unquote. Naturally, Diego agreed and proceeded to study and admire Frida's paintings. He later wrote about them. Quote, they showed me none of the tricks in the name of originality that usually mark the work of ambitious beginners. They had a fundamental plastic honesty and an artistic personality of their own. It was obvious to me that this girl was an authentic artist. Unquote. When he started giving Frida his overwhelmingly positive view of her work, she stiffened and apparently cut him off rather harshly for two conjoined reasons. First, Frida was familiar with Diego's work, but she was also familiar with his reputation, which was that of an admitted womanizer. Second, Frida herself was beautiful and truly magnetic, so she was also rather used to syncophantic behavior, you could say. Basically, she didn't want Diego to be blowing smoke just because she was pretty. So she told him, quote, I have not come looking for compliments. I want the criticism of a serious man, unquote. Diego was undoubtedly taken aback, but he was also smitten by her ferocity and her ambition. So he agreed to meet with her one more time a few days later in order to again give his sincere opinions about the rest of her paintings. So when he arrived at her home, Frida took him from room to room, touring him through her house and to her paintings with joy and an effervescent spirit. Diego by then, he was already falling in love. He later said, quote, I did not know it then, but Frida had already become the most important fact in my life, and she would continue to be up until the moment she died 27 years later. Unquote. We will continue our story right after another quick break. So come right back. Welcome back to Art Curious. After that meeting, or the reintroduction, at Tina Madotti's house and their connection over Frida's paintings, the relationship between Diego and Frida began in earnest, with a passion that culminated in their marriage on August 21, 1929, in a civil ceremony performed by the mayor of one of Mexico City's boroughs, who called the marriage a, quote, historical event. And indeed, the two did experience a sincere level of celebrity, especially as the 1930s progressed. It was a true meeting of the minds when these two artists married, to be sure, especially when Diego himself had gained a level of success and popularity. But public interest in them as a couple was also because, as I mentioned at the beginning, theirs was frankly kind of an odd pairing from the outside. 
He was middle-aged, over six feet tall, already divorced and weighing over 300 pounds. She, by contrast, was just barely out of school, about five foot three and weighed under 100 pounds. He was hardy. She was frail. And according to author Hayden Herrera in her landmark biography of Frida, Frida's own parents were so flummoxed by the union initially that they called it, quote, a marriage between an elephant and a dove, unquote. But the parents, they relented because Frida's father felt that Diego's success in the arts would ensure that he could afford to pay for his new wife's ongoing medical needs. Always the pragmatist, Mr. Kahlo. Life for the newlyweds began as happily as can be. Soon after their marriage, they moved to the nearby city of Cuernavaca, which is about an hour's drive south from Mexico City. Diego had received a mural commission there for the nearby Palace of Cortez, and while living in Cuernavaca with Diego, Frida began to fully come into her own in terms of her personal and artistic identity. Though she was always fascinated with Mexican history and culture, she sought to align herself even more closely with her heritage by wearing traditional or indigenous Mexican clothing. Things like long, brightly colored skirts, huge headdresses, and lots and lots of jewelry. This appealed to Diego because it also supported their mutual nationalist aims. And also it made her stand out as a member of the artistic and intellectual crowd that was gaining particular prominence in the capital. There was also a good side effect too. All of these long skirts effectively hid her injuries and the damages that were wrought by her terrible accident and her childhood stint with polio. The connection with Frida's Mexican heritage didn't stop at her appearance. It spread throughout and infused her artwork, too. Just as her own self became more decorated and more colorful, so did her artwork. Filled with bright bursts of pigment and relying heavily on symbols closely aligned not only with European Christian traditions, but also with Mexican and Aztec history. Between the two of them, the couple came to represent the essence of Mexican culture in their work and themselves, especially as they traveled away from Mexico for Diego's work. Their inherent Mexicanness, Mexicanidad, and I do say Mexicanness here in air quotes, lent the couple an air of exoticism and glamour. In the early 1930s, they lived primarily in America, moving first to San Francisco, where they were, according to Hayden Herrera, quote, fetid, lionized, and spoiled by the West Coast cultural elite. While Diego completed murals for the San Francisco Stock Exchange, Frida herself participated in her very first art exhibition, showing a painting titled Frida and Diego Rivera at the Palace of the Legion of Honor. She didn't typically call attention to her own art while she and Diego were mingling with his supporters and clients. Instead, she opted sometimes to play the little wife, and he of course was vastly proud to have this beauty at his side. So together they traveled in a whirlwind of glittery flashbulbs and media coverage to New York, Detroit, Philadelphia, and back to New York again, with Diego creating some of his most iconic murals of his career, with high-profile commissions at the Detroit Institute of Arts and Rockefeller Center the latter of which would eventually be destroyed due to the artist's refusal to paint over his depiction of Vladimir Lenin. 
1933 drifted to a close, the artists had been living outside of Mexico for the majority of over three years. Frida, especially, was ready for a change. And so, before the new year of 1934, the couple headed back to Mexico City. And it was there that the situation for the couple began to vastly change. What was once a sparkling union between two captivating people soon became a disastrous one, full of betrayal, lies, and revenge. In perhaps the most famous quip of her entire life, Frida Kahlo would later say, quote, There have been two great accidents in my life. One was the trolley, and the other was Diego. Diego was by far the worst, unquote. But did Frida Kahlo truly mean the statement? Did she feel that way for the rest of her life? What happened next in their story might just surprise you. And that's coming up in two weeks on Art Curious. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. The Art Curious theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki. Podcasts, create a video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLight. AnchorLight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, AnchorLight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. For more information, please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means you donate tax-free to Art Curious, and there you can show your support. Or join us on Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee. Check back with us as we continue our story of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful modern love of Frida and Diego. <laughs>